Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us. This is part two of Gaining Humility. Gaining humility. And you think about humility, it seems like it's one of those things that very few people really want to be humble because we look at that as a negative trait. But really, when you think about humility, if you can humble yourself in the presence of the Lord at the due time, He will raise you up. And so we've been going through 12 different steps. And so let me quickly go through the first six that we covered yesterday. Number one, routinely confess your sin to God, okay? Make it a habit to confess your sins daily, uh, weekly, or, or in my case, moment by moment. Whenever you confess your sins, uh, that's where you are able to receive God's forgiveness. Number two, acknowledge your sins before others. Uh, that's where you get the accountability. Uh, that's where you get the ability to also get beyond your sin. Because when you confess your sin to somebody, uh, you're in essence putting yourself in a position of accountability to that person. And then number three, take wrong patiently. Realize that God wants to knock off the rough edges in my life. And oftentimes he's going to do it with people that are extra grace required people. And so we are to be sympathetic toward one another. We do not take uh, evil uh, and return evil for evil. Instead, we give them peace. We bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. And then number four, we are actively to submit to authority, both the good and the bad. Now, listen, some people, it is much easier to live under their authority. Some people are much more difficult. But Peter reminds us, 1 Peter 2.18, that we're to be subject to those who are over us and we're to do it with respect, not only to the good and to the gentle, but also to the unjust. And uh, you know, I know this is tough, right? Because my experience and your experience is the same, is that oftentimes that those who are most demanding of us are the most disrespectful of others. And so that's the big old fat hypocrisy that we see when it comes to this matter. But I want you to know that God gives you an extra measure of grace if you do the right thing. And then number five, receive correction and feedback from others and receive it graciously, right? Ask yourself, Lord, what are you trying to show me through this? And oftentimes you discover that when you receive correction graciously, God gives you this unexplained power to continue on. Uh, this persistence, right? Uh, we're almost like Moses, right? I mean, how many times did Moses go back to the Pharaoh and say, let my people go? Ten times. Ten different plagues. Uh, Pharaoh was obstinate, but Moses was persistent. Uh, he kept going back because he knew he was right smack dab in the middle of uh, God's will. And Moses was referred to as the meekest person to walk on the face of the earth, outside of Christ, obviously. But Moses was a man filled with meekness. So we learned that meekness is not weakness. It's really strength under control. And then number six, be willing to accept a lowly place. Don't be wanting to sit at the head of the table. Don't be wanting to be the first in the line. I don't be wanting the limelights. Listen, when God sets you up in those places, it's great to be there. But realize that if you put yourself there, you're going to probably fall off and then you're going to be all embarrassed. It's kind of like when, uh, Jesus says, you know, when you go to the banquet, don't sit at the head table uh, because you might be in the wrong seat and the person that's supposed to be at that head table position is going to come along and whoever's leading the banquet and say, hey, listen, buddy, you're in the wrong seat. Uh, and then you get all embarrassed because you took a position of honor when you should have been sitting down someplace else, okay? Uh, and so uh, Benjamin Franklin learned that lesson of humility when he was visiting that Puritan preacher, Cotton Mather, and he gets ready to leave uh, the preacher's house. And the preacher says, well, well, Doc, stoop, stoop, so I don't hit your head. And, and it was too late. Old Ben Franklin had his head up there and he smacked his head on that beam. And then he said this, when you're young, you have the world before you. 
Stoop as you go through it, and you will avoid many hard thumbs. That advice has been very useful to me. As you think about what the Bible says about putting yourself first, it encourages us to accept a lowly place. Proverbs 25, 6 and 7 says, Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in a place of greatness, for it is better to be told, come on up here, than they be put lower in the presence of a noble. And then number seven. We kind of finished up yesterday with number seven. Purposefully associate with people of lower estate than you. Jesus said this. You know, one of the Pharisees asked to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house, and they reclined at a table. And behold, a woman of that city came, and and she was a sinner. And she learned that he was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house. And so she came in and brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind Jesus, standing behind him at his feet, she began weeping and began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And then she began to kiss the feet of Jesus. And then she took this alabaster and she anointed Jesus with the ointment. Now the Pharisee who had invited him saw this. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. And now you know what Jesus did. He rebuked the Pharisee and he encouraged that woman. When you think about where life begins to guide you, have you ever had a gut decision? Have you experienced that gut check moment? Have you ever made a decision going with your gut? Well, according to a a report from ABC News, our abilities to think and employ solid reasoning are owned in part to the health of our digestive tract. We don't normally think of our digestive system in these terms, but there's a body of evidence to support this idea. Some scientists call the 100 trillion bacteria and the 100 million nerve endings in our gastrointestinal tract as our second brain. This brain communicates with an interface known as the gut-brain access, which explains why gut health can improve conditions like Alzheimer's and even depression. People who often associate chemicals like serotonin with the brain, but most of our body's serotonin, our sleep cycles, and our appetite is actually found in our guts. You see, on the flip side, Other studies have shown a relationship between imbalances in gut bacteria and in the rise of a neuroimmunization and the neuroinflammatory diseases. But the good news is that we are establishing these practices that we can actually improve our gut health. If the conventional wisdom is right, you may not exactly be what you eat, but more of how you digest. You say, what does this have to do with what we're talking about? When Jesus had that woman come, that sinner. He looked at that person from a different mindset. She was that person that loved him unconditionally. He was willing to associate with people of lower estate. It affected his ability to process a relationship based upon how he viewed her. I want to encourage you today. When you are walking in humility, you will make a conscious choice. That conscious choice will be to serve others. You know, when you're serving others, we are serving God's purpose in their lives. 
Doing so reduces our focus on ourselves and builds up the kingdom of God. When serving another costs us nothing, we should really question whether or not it really is servanthood. Those who walk in humility choose to serve others above themselves. 2 Corinthians 4.5 says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves, as your servants, for Jesus' sake. And Jesus goes so far as to say, The greatest among you must be your servant. You see, one big demoralizer in serving others is it seems like we we never have enough people to do the work. A few years ago, I was reading the Leadership Journal, and the Leadership Journal had this article, and it was talking about the fact that they were short-staffed for three months. And they were doing a, a thorough search, trying to find that right associate editor to come along and help them out. They thought they found the right person, but it didn't work out. And they said, we had to live with more work than people for a while longer. That same day, the mail brought two letters criticizing one of the current editors and and the work that he was doing. Uh, During that same period of time, this particular editor and his family, they were were moving. and, And although it was a happy move, there was a major financial stress on this editor. And then he got a call from the attorney saying that the person that was was selling his house and uh, they they thought that uh, the price wasn't right and they're trying to pull out of it and and uh, and they just felt that pressure and the stress and he says I took all this from work that was happening and I took it home and I went into the front of my home and as I'm entering my house the storm door is broken. He said, we had guests coming over for dinner that night, and uh, and they got lost, and they were an hour late. And, and then he says, I finally joked with my wife, and he says, I know God wants to refine my character, but does he have to do it, with it all in one day? Now, that particular Sunday, that editor who was also a pastor, he says, I got up and preached, and it, and it happened to be on a very difficult and a very a controversial subject. And he says, man, I, I sweated over my sermon, and And afterward, I felt relieved and good, but yet I was drained and I felt spiritually vulnerable. And he says, many people told me how much the message helped them, but one person told me that a member had been offended and was thinking about leaving the church. Of the many comments, guess which one still bothered that pastor, still bothered that editor, that one negative comment. You see, searching for some wisdom and some relief. This pastor editor turned to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and there he found Paul's confession of being hard-pressed and perplexed, but this time he drank that comfort from these verses where Paul says, we are always caring about in our bodies the death of Jesus Christ, so the life of Jesus may be relieved in our body. Death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. You see, when you may feel like you're being terrorized spiritually, Paul understood what it was like to feel like you were dying, but yet to have that force of God's quality of life coming into you. Here is Paul's equation. Struggling minister, struggling servant equals a blessed church congregation. Now, I don't necessarily like that equation and, and, and because I'm called to be a minister. You know, I don't like being battered. I don't like being unsure. I don't like to be thrown down. But that's what servanthood is all about. I really do want God's blessing to flow through me to others, at least most of the time. 
And such life comes only from death, yours and mine. We are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed any longer to this pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That way, you can prove what is that good and that perfect and that acceptable will of Christ Jesus. You see, choosing to serve others is a wonderful act of humility. Jesus himself says, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you got to be servant of all. Well, there's something else we've got to look at. If we truly want to be walking in humility, we must be quick to forgive. And not just receiving forgiveness, but quick to forgive others. You know, forgiveness is possibly one of the greatest acts of humility that we can ever do. To forgive is to acknowledge a wrong that has been done to us, and it's also to further release our right of repayment. We're not going to get that person back for the wrong that they did. Forgiveness is the denial of self. Forgiveness is not insisting on your own way or our, on our own way of justice. Look at how we have recorded in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 21, Peter came up and he said to him, Now, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Well, Jesus said, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And he said he could not pay. His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had, and the payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, and he found one of his fellow servants, who owed him one hundred denarii, he seized him, and he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down, and he pleaded with him, Oh, have patience with me, and I will repay. He refused, and he went and put him in prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went, and they reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart. Oh, this matter of forgiveness. It's not easy to forgive somebody else. We must be quick to forgive because this is a tremendous act of humility. I was reading the story of a pastor one day and his daughter came to him and daughter says, now, daddy, I'm pregnant. Corey, the 21-year-old unwed daughter, said those words to this pastor. And as the pastor heard these words, all kinds of emotions ran through his mind. Yes, it would be embarrassing. I mean, after all, this particular pastor wrote a book, and the book was entitled Sanctified Sex. 
I had crisscrossed the country telling thousands of young adults, like my daughter, to just say no. Yes, it broke my heart. I stayed awake many nights listening to my wife's muffled sobs. I came home many days to be the referee in a family feud. You see, Corey always made it clear that she likes the wilder side of life. She has always learned her lessons the hard way. My wife, Roberta, and I have always wanted our home to be a place where no strings attached love could grow. Throughout the crisis, I asked God, how do I model sensitivity and strength with my family when it's falling apart? You see, God replied with several questions. Will you quit? Will you quit loving your daughter? Will you quit investing in life? Will you quit forgiving her as you have been forgiving? My answer continues to be, no. I won't quit, Lord. With your help, my family will make it. I want you to know that's what forgiveness is all about. It's constantly forgiving others. It's not a one-and-done act. We're to be quick to forgive, remembering how often God forgives us. You know, I'm always amazed at how patient God is with me. I got to admit to you, I am a major knucklehead. I always mess up. It's not that I intentionally mess up. It seems like I'm just kind of prone to mess up. But I've got a Heavenly Father who has always been very patient with me, and He always forgives. He's always patient with me. Maybe you've got somebody in your life and you said, man, I'm not going to forgive that person. Well, I say to you, I hope that you never need God's forgiveness. I discovered something about uh, uh, receiving God's forgiveness. The more I forgive others, the more I can embrace and enjoy the forgiveness that God has given me. Jesus said in the model prayer, if you refuse to forgive the trespasses of others, your Heavenly Father will refuse to forgive you. You see, when I don't forgive somebody else, oh, it hurts that person, but that person can still be forgiven by God. That person can go on without me ever giving them forgiveness. But I've discovered something happens to me. A root of bitterness begins to develop within me when I refuse to forgive somebody. You know, I've dealt with people that battle bitterness. And it's heartbreaking as I look at their lives, as they navigate through life. They put up these walls. And and everybody that doesn't see everything exactly how they see it, they put up this wall. And that wall is an impenetrable wall. It's a wall that separates them from other people. They think they're hurting that other person by putting up that wall. Oh yeah, that other person feels that pain to a degree. But nobody feels that pain as much as that person who refuses to forgive. In Acts chapter 12, verse 15, Paul gives us a very important lesson. He says, see to it that nobody misses the grace of God. You see, when you refuse to forgive, you are forfeiting God's grace in your very own life. Paul says, see to it that nobody misses the grace of God. Because if you miss the grace of God, our root of bitterness will spring forth and defile many. I want to encourage you today. If you truly want to walk in humility, you must be quick to forgive. And forgiveness has nothing to do with whether or not a person deserves it. It's a gift. It's something that we give to somebody, regardless of whether or not they deserve it or not. There's something else that God wants to cultivate in us as we are walking in humility. We're to cultivate a grateful heart. You see, the more we develop this attitude of gratitude, this gift of salvation in the life that He has given us, the more our perspective of self will change. You see, a grateful heart is always a humble heart. 
Paul reminds us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, that we're to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You know, when you think about doing the one thing, there's one thing that you can do that will add years to your life. Recent studies have shown that doing this one thing can add years to a person's life, and it's an accurate prediction of how fulfilling not only their life will be, but how fulfilling their marriage can be. What is this magic formula? A smile. Smiling has truly remarkable effects. First, doing it actually makes you feel good, even if you're not feeling good at that moment. They actually did an MRI study back in 2009 that demonstrated conclusively that the brain's happiness circuitry is activated when you smile. Regardless of your current mood, if you're down, smiling actually prompts your brain to produce these feel-good hormones. Smiling is also a predictor of longevity. In 2010, they did a study, and researchers looked at a Major League Baseball card photo from 1952. Uh, They looked at all these photos uh, on these baseball cards, and they found that the span of a player's smile actually predicted his lifespan. Unsmiling players live 72-point years on average, while those who are beaming with smiles lived seven years longer. They actually did another 30-year study at the UC of Berkeley, and they examined the smiles of the students in their old yearbook. And almost spooky results they found. The width of a student's smile turned out to be an accurate predictor of how high their standardized tests would be. Happiness would increase your standings. Now, how inspiring this must be. As we look at fulfilled marriages, can you imagine how much your marriage could change if when you came home from work today, you just put a big old smile on your face and you say, hey, honey, it's so good to be home. You may have been stuck in traffic. You may have a a thousand problems weighing heavy on your mind, but you're at home. Now, where do you stack up when it comes to smiling? Know this that under 14% of us smile fewer than five times a day. Over 30% of us smile over 20 times a day. And that's one group that absolutely dominates with as many as 400 smiles a day. You know who that is? Children. You know, children are by nature happy. And that's why I encourage you to be so protective of your children. Allow them to have a happy childhood. It will affect them not only as a child, but they're carried off into adult. So there you have it. Smiling makes you feel good, makes you look good, and gets you a better marriage in the end. Seems like something to smile about. When I think about walking in humility, there's a couple more things we got to cover. And I think I'm going to run out of time on the broadcast, so I'm going to finish this up tomorrow. But let me give you the 11th step in walking in humility. And that is to purpose to speak well of others. You see, saying negative things about others puts that one person down in an attempt to put yourself up. You see, speaking well of others edifies them, builds them up, but you know it also builds you up as well. So make sure that when you're building people up, you're not just using flattery, but you are genuinely trying to encourage them. That is a mark of humility. Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 4. He said, Let all bitterness and all wrath and all anger and clamor and slander, let it all be put away from you, 
along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You know, Pastor Orwin Lutzer, he was a young man and getting married. He shares a, a powerful illustration of what can happen if we respond well to others. I want you to join me tomorrow because I'm going to begin the broadcast with this 11th point, purpose to speak well of others. Please join me, and I'm going to tell you the rest of that story of what Pastor Orwin Lutzer shared in a book that he wrote not too long ago. As you think about the rest of this day, maybe there's a burden that you're carrying. Maybe there's something that you you really need some help with. Maybe you have an urgent prayer request. I want to encourage you to shoot me a text at 252-267-2365 and I will pray for you by name. If you are wanting us to share that prayer request on our prayer chain with a, a group of about 20 people who I call prayer warriors, these are men and women that will pray for you by name. These are men and women who join me every Thursday morning at 5 a.m. for a prayer call over the phone, a conference prayer call, and we will pray for you. Thank you for joining me today. I look forward to speaking with you tomorrow as we finish up this series on walking and gaining humility. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.